Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We know that in the midst of the ups and downs of life that we know that you are faithful. You are ever-present help and need. You're always for us, always working for our good. We confess, Jesus, we don't always know what it is that you're doing in our circumstances or even why, but we have this unshakable faith, this hope that actually you're there, you're in the midst of it, and that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you. So we thank you, Jesus. It brings incredible hope, no matter what the circumstances of our life look like, to know that you sit above all of this and that you have this plan and this purpose and that your plans are always to prosper those that you love. And so we sit under, the, under your faithfulness, under the blessing of who you are, as you express your goodness to us each and every day. And we pray, Jesus, that we would just have the eyes to see that no matter what our circumstances might be, in the good and the bad, Jesus, that actually our circumstances wouldn't be the thing that determines how we see you, but actually it would be what we know to be true, what the scriptures reveal to us, that you are good and you are for us, and that that would actually then be the lens that through we view all of life, the ups and the downs. Um, with this we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the start of a brand new series called Waiting Well. It's only four weeks until Christmas, not long at all. The theme of our Christmas services is arrival, and in the meantime, we're going to have a look at what it means to wait well. There's different aspects to waiting. Mim's going to have a look at what it means to be hopeful in waiting and how we actually are a hopeful people. Nick's going to have a look at what it means to wait on the Lord and, and the hope that's in that. And then this morning, we're going to be unpacking the disappointment and the pain that often comes in waiting. I think it's fair to say that life very rarely goes the way that we think it will. I never thought that I'd end up in ministry. I feel like my, my journey into ministry was like a gradual surrendering to something that I didn't really want to do. Well, my dad's a pastor, has been for a long, long time, and I just didn't think that that was me. Well, it's fair to say that I, I was wrong, right? And that actually I, I love what I do, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be in ministry, partly because I love my job and partly because I'm just not good at anything else, right? But that's <laughs> where I was at. I never thought we'd end up in WA either. It just wasn't on our radar. But the Lord's been so good to us over the last eight or, or nine years. And the truth is, if I'd sat down as an 18-year-old and, and written out the way that I wanted my life to go, I don't think that it would, would have looked anything like this. Now, that's not something that I've ever really done, but I know people who have. I mean, Anna told me that her dream was to marry a, a rich African doctor and then open up an orphanage in India. It's fair to say that it hasn't exactly worked out for her. We've been to India a couple of times, but that's about it, right? So it didn't exactly work out for her. Well, life doesn't always go the way that we think it will or, or want it to. And the truth is there's just so much that's actually outside of our control. 
A couple of years ago, the whole world locked down because of a global pandemic. Well, the next step on your life plan that you've kind of all mapped out and colored in, and right, the next step on your life plan may have been to travel the world, but it doesn't matter. You're not going anywhere. It's just it's not happening, and there's nothing you can do about that. Life often doesn't go the way that we think it will or or want it to, and and sometimes that's not that big of a deal. But sometimes it's incredibly difficult. Sometimes there's an enormous amount of pain and grief in that. So what do you do? How do we, the, the people of God, how do we navigate those moments of loss? How do you wait well when when the desires of your heart seem so far away? How do you not end up bitter and angry at God? How how do you hold on to his goodness in the midst of circumstances that are not good? That's what we're going to be having a look at this morning. And it's heavy. Nick spoke about judgment and hell last week. And here we are talking about grief and loss. It's heavy. We need a faith that can handle this stuff. Because that's real life in a broken, sinful world. And so we actually need a faith that knows what to do with all of this stuff. I'm going to read our passage in just a moment. First Samuel chapter 1. It's 20 verses. a long story. Not actually that long. It's 20 verses. Whatever. You'll be all right. Um, and you can follow one in your Bibles. But I want to pray first um, that actually we would approach this with a really open heart. So Jesus, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is our hope. Nick read that verse this morning. That we wait on you, Lord, and your word is our hope. And we really do that, Father. All of this is beautiful. We're so grateful for our band. So grateful for everybody that makes this a reality. Got people in the car park, in the cafe, everywhere. It's beautiful. And we love each other. We love the opportunity to be a part of this community. But you make the difference. You're the reason we're here. And so Jesus, as we come before your word, our great prayer is that you would encounter us this morning by the power of your spirit, through your word, that you would reveal yourself to us afresh. No matter what season we might find ourselves in, the good or the bad, I pray, Jesus, that we would come open-handed. And we pray a simple prayer, Jesus, would you search us and know us and reveal yourself to us in a fresh and new way this morning. Would you draw us close? This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 to 20, here we go. There was a certain man from that place, Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. There you go, that frames the rest of this story. Year after year, this man went, went up from this town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and uh, Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. They were terrible, by the way. Bad priests. Bad, bad priests. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. And it sounds like there was lots of them. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. That's a really hard verse, and we're going to get to that later, but just stay with me, okay? Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. 
Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house and a deep anguish, you can underline that, that's really significant, that phrase, in a deep anguish, Hannah prayed, prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, another translation might say, the Lord of, of heaven's armies. It's about God's sovereignty, his power, his authority. That's what it emphasizes. He made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give, to him, give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. For no razor will ever be used on his head. It's a Nazarite vow like Samson. She kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying and her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled or deeply distressed. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Another significant line. You can underline that. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord. And then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made, uh, made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. That's a beautiful passage of Scripture, but there's some tough stuff in there. So I want to start by giving you a little bit of context. I think it will help you understand what God is actually doing. You've got to understand that at this point in history, this moment, right, the people of Israel were just lost. They'd strayed so far from what God had called them to be. And the book of Judges is just story after story of Israel's abject failure to follow God or live for him. Story after story. Even the book that we find ourselves in today, 1 Samuel, right? It's all about Israel's transition from a theocracy, right? Where God ruled over his people. That's the way that it's meant to be. To a monarchy where they had a human king like everyone else. It's a massive downgrade, by the way. And Samuel goes on to say it's a rejection of who God is. So God says to Samuel, sorry, don't be offended, Samuel. They're rejecting me, my kingship. They choose a human king over me. And then in between those two things, there's just a bunch of anarchy as well. Judges 21 verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Living for themselves, did what was right in their own eyes. It's it's anarchy. They're lost. And God wants to draw them back. He's, He's going to raise up a man named Samuel to do just that. He's got a plan and a purpose, and Hannah is right at the heart of that plan, but she doesn't know that. 1 Samuel chapter 1 
It is the story of God reaching down into the lives of ordinary people with their ordinary, real, genuine struggles so that he might intervene supernaturally in their circumstances. But, and here's the key, he does it in a way that redirects the course not just of that family, but all of human history. It's a pattern that we see again and again in Scripture. God is just working on a different level, on a, on a cosmic scale. His plan is bigger than you could possibly even imagine. Now, that doesn't diminish the significance or the weight of Hannah's struggle, her situation. It just helps us understand what God is doing and why. It's a bigger plan. So that's the context for you. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at Hannah's story. We pick it up in verse 1. And it says, there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Now, if you head over to 1 Chronicles chapter C, you see the Zophite genealogy in its fullness, right? And it makes it pretty clear that Elkanah was actually a Levite. His family was originally responsible for the Ark of the Covenant, which is kind of significant, Right? Right at the heart of God's business is this family. They're living in Ephraim, but Elkin is not an Ephraimite. He's a Levite. He's from the priestly tribe of Israel, which kind of foreshadows Samuel's life and the role that he would play with the people of God, right? And if you read this story, you see Elkin, and he seems to be a man of faith. And he would take his family to Shiloh year after year to, to worship and, and sacrifice to the Lord. You've got to remember the temple hasn't been built yet. So the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Holy of Holies, all of that was at the tabernacle at Shiloh. It was Yahweh's dwelling place among the people. That's where Elkanah has taken his family year after year, probably for the festival of booths. And if you don't know what that is, it's essentially a week-long celebration where the people of God would, would come together for this massive feast. They'd build temporary shelters, almost like tents, right? As a way of remembering what it was like for them as they made their way through the desert. And they'd live in these temporary shelters for a week, and they'd remember all the incredible things that God had done as he delivered them from Egypt. That's what this week is. It's a time of joy, fullness of life, blessing. Just think about Christmas Day, Christmas lunch. As, as the whole family comes together to celebrate. It's awesome. It's the best time of the year. This is, just, this is as good as it gets. But not for Hannah. Now for Hannah, it was a yearly reminder of what she didn't have. The desires of her heart that just seemed so far away. See, infertility was a huge deal in the ancient world. Not to say that it isn't today. It absolutely is. But, but in the ancient world, there was a stigma associated with infertility, with barrenness. It was a superstitious idea, even amongst the Jews, right? That, that infertility was a curse from God. It's a part of a bigger theological problem that tied all suffering to sin, which is tricky, right? Because sin does have consequences, and we often do suffer as the result of our sin. That's not what I'm talking about. In the ancient world, they saw a direct correlation between suffering and sin. 
Man born blind in John chapter 9 is a great example. Anybody remember that story? Jesus and his disciples, they encounter a blind man and his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They're not asking a question, by the way. They're assuming that this, his blindness is a way of God's punishing him for someone's sin. That's the assumption. The only question is, whose sin is it? Is it his sin or, or is it his parents' sin? And what did Jesus say? Neither of them, you dopes. Neither of them. Well, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, there's a modern version of this, by the way. They'll tell you that Jesus wants you to be healthy and wealthy and walking in prosperity. And if you're not, well, you must have some kind of sin in your life. Or you just don't have enough faith. And if we just fix that, right? We get you doing the right stuff, then you'll receive all that God has for you. And there's an element of truth in that. And God does have good things for us. He's always for us. He's always working for our good. There's an element of truth in that, but it's an over-realized eschatology. And it doesn't leave any room for the brokenness of our world. The fact that Jesus' redemptive work is not finished. Or the reality that sometimes God says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. All of which comes together to say, life isn't always easy. Terrible things happen to good people all the time. This isn't happening to Hannah because she lacks faith. She's an incredible woman of faith. Incredible woman of faith. It's a reality of our world. It's why we long for the king to come back and make all things new. We've got this now and not yet aspect that we're living with. And it's not always easy. So you've got to understand, Hannah wasn't just dealing with a disappointment of unrealized dreams. She was carrying an enormous amount of shame. Wrongfully, it's built on a faulty theology, but she was carrying it. Panina knows that. And she makes sure to regularly remind Hannah of that, which is a little sociopathic, let's be honest. But Panina has struggles of her own. Well, Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Panina, that's pretty clear. From a cultural point of view, I can almost guarantee you that Panina would have been Elkanah's second wife, not his first. He would have married her after he found out that Hannah was barren because culturally at that time he needs a son to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. Hence he marries a second woman. We see it with Abraham. We see it over and over again. And there's huge problems associated with that. It causes strife in this family. It's just not the way that it's meant to be. And all of that would have just compounded things for Hannah. Put yourself in her shoes. That woman is only here because I couldn't give Elkanah a son. If I just had been able to do what I'm supposed to do as a woman, she wouldn't even be here. But, But I can't. And so here she is. And here's this woman tormenting me in the midst of my suffering. 
This went on year after year. This isn't just a bad week, a tough week. No, this went on year after year. Elkanah, bless his heart, he tries to help, but he fails miserably, let's be honest. Absolutely fails miserably. He comes in and he tries to, to lift her eyes, right? But I look at that and I think, man, it's just it's the sheer stupidity of a well-meaning but emotionally stunted, emotionally incompetent man. That's what I see. It's me, by the way. That's why I see that in there. I can relate enormously to that. So in the second service, what I'm going to say to all the young men, there's not that many young men actually here in the first service because they're lazy and they like to sleep. Not really. But for all the young men, I just want to give you a bit of free advice. This is something that I have learned the hard way. If your girlfriend slash wife, bless you if you have one, fantastic. If your girlfriend slash wife is doing it tough, she's emotional, she's, she's distressed, she's crying, just say, I'm sorry, baby, that sucks. Do you see how naturally that came out of my mouth? That is years of training. Years and years and years of training. Maybe give her a hug. Maybe pray for her. But here's the key, young man. Resist the urge to say anything more. Am I right? Thank you, ladies. That little voice in your head that's like, but if she only realized that this was just, no, that's the devil. And you need to rebuke that in Jesus' name. You need to just don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Don't be like Elkanah. He failed miserably. Don't, don't do that, right? Just say, I'm sorry, baby. That sucks. That's a lesson, by the way, that I have learned the hard way, through fire and blood. Not really, but it feels like that. So that's all the young man. But there's actually a principle in this, on a slightly more serious note. There's a principle in this that's actually for all of us. And it, it helps us understand what it, mean, what it looks like for, for a community to grieve well together. Or to journey with somebody who's doing it tough. So here's what I want you to do. When you see your brother or sister doing it tough, they're in the midst of grief and sorrow, I want you to exercise, I want you to practice a ministry of presence. You'll probably have no idea what to say, and that's, that's okay. Just be present. The worst thing that you can do in moments like this is offer up some kind of pithy statement about God's goodness and how that means that everything is going to be fine. Don't do it. It's so unhelpful. It just doesn't stand up. See, I've done the funeral of a stillborn baby, so I know it's not always fine. But sometimes it just sucks. And that kind of thing can do enormous amounts of damage. So don't do that. Don't be like Elkanah. Practice a ministry of presence. We've been on a long journey with Anna's health, so believe me when I say along the way, we've had some wild things said to us. Now, that doesn't really bother me because I know that people are just trying to help and it just doesn't really bother me. But you know what? It can do enormous amounts of damage. So don't do it. Just, just be present with people. Don't try to fix it. Just be present with people. The last thing you want to do is try to correct someone's theology in a moment of suffering. Just be present. Grieve with people. Love them. That's what it looks like for a community to actually suffer well and to grieve well. I want you to practice a ministry of presence. So you look at Elkanah. And he needed to be there. He needed, Elkanah should have been right there. Because he doesn't do that. 
He tries to fix it. He's a, he's a man, he's dumb, it's not his fault. It's the way the Lord made him, right? And lo and behold, it only makes it worse. So what does Hannah do? Because I imagine that's just, that's just suffering upon suffering, right? So what does she do? She prays. And I want you to highlight that in your Bibles because verse 10 is the key. You want to know what biblical suffering looks like. Verse 10 says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. That's biblical suffering. That phrase, deep anguish, is a combination of two Hebrew words, merat, which means bitterness, and nefesh, which means soul. Nefesh. Hannah's saying, there's a bitterness in my soul. You can see it in my tears. But I know that Yahweh is sovereign. I know that he's good and that he cares about me. So I'm not burying it. And I'm not blaming him in the midst of it. No, I'm taking my bitterness to the Lord. So here's the biblical principle. You can deal with suffering in one of three ways. You can either deny it, pretend like it isn't there. Because, and let's be honest, this is the reason. You don't have a theology that allows you to hold on to the goodness of God in the midst of circumstances that are not good. And so you don't know what to do with it. And so you just got to pretend like it doesn't exist. You can do that or you can blame God. You can turn away from him. See him as the source of everything evil in your life. Because once again, your theology doesn't allow you to make space for the goodness of God in the midst of circumstances that are not good. It's two completely different responses, but actually they're both built on the same faulty foundation. And both of them are wrong. Pretending like everything is awesome when it's not isn't faith, it's fantasy. It doesn't help you. And you know what? I look at Hannah and I just, it's just not what I see. I don't see either of those things anywhere in this passage. She's not putting on a brave face because, you know, God is good and so I've just got to be good all the time. I don't see that. No, she's pouring out her soul to the Lord. It's, it's raw and authentic and I think the Lord loved it. Just read the Psalms. It's there, recorded in Scripture for it. There's a reason the Lord had Psalms in the Scripture. I read this passage, I think, you know what? She was probably a mess. That's why Eli thought that she was drunk. Now, once again, it's a well-meaning but emotionally incompetent man, just not being super helpful, right? But I just don't think he was used to that kind of raw emotion before the Lord. And yet... I think that's exactly what God wants from us. I think he wants us to come as we are. And I can think of several occasions in my life where I've poured out my soul to the Lord. Dave and his transplant. I pulled over and did on the side of the road, driving back from the hospital, and did exactly that. Lord, I know you're good. I'm tired. Tired. Just feel like we've had our fair share of struggles. I'm not, I'm not questioning your goodness. I just want you to know that it hurts. That's my prayer. I poured out my soul to the Lord. But here's the thing. I walked away with peace. Drove away, but walked away with peace. And we see that in verse 18. Eli says, Eli, sorry, says go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. And Hannah says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. But then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So here's the beautiful picture that we're given in this passage. 
Hannah's soul is full of bitterness, so she comes before the Lord. She pours out her soul to the Lord and walks away filled, not with bitterness, but with peace. And there's something about the pouring that allowed to be filled. Something in there. It's a beautiful picture for us. And here's the best part. Well, she received that peace long before God ever answered her prayer. Which means the peace wasn't the result of the answer to prayer. And the peace came as she poured out her soul to the Lord. And that's good news. Because here's the tough reality. We don't always see the answer to prayer. So if the peace is dependent on you getting what you want, then some of us are never going to get the peace. And that's hard. But if the peace is dependent on the presence of Jesus in the midst of my suffering, well, that's good news. And that's what I see in this passage. I think God met her in, in that moment of vulnerability and pain. He, he took a bitterness and grief because here's the truth. He can handle it. He can handle it. He's big enough. So he took her bitterness and grief and gave her joy and peace. That's beautiful. You know, the most significant spiritual encounter of my life happened in a moment of desperation. I was praying for my boy because the doctors told us that he wasn't going to survive. There's no pomp or ceremony. I'm not worried about using the right words. None of that matters. I just get on my knees and I pray to my Father in heaven. And yet in that moment, the presence of God was like something that I've never experienced before. I walk away thinking, but God met me in that moment. He's there. And that's been my experience again and again and again in the deepest, darkest moments of my life. When I turn to the he's there in a significant way. And here's why. Because he cares about us. And he cares about you. That's why Bonhoeffer says we are privileged to know that he, that is God, knows our needs before we ask him. And that is what gives Christian prayer its boundless confidence and its joyous certainty. It matters little what form of prayer we adopt or how many words we use. What matters is the faith which lays hold of God and touches the heart of the Father who knew us long before we came to him. It's the turning where genuine prayer is never just good works or, or an exercise of pious attitude. It is always the prayer of a child to a father. Amen. See the dependency of that? First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And you might be sitting there thinking, but how do I know that? How am I meant to hold on to that in the midst of pain and grief? Because sometimes my circumstances don't read like that, right? Well, I would say to you, lift your eyes and see the cross. Because the cross says to you and me, that God is for us. He loves us more deeply than we could possibly even imagine. He's not going to die for us and then turn around and neglect us or, or torment us for fun. It's not who he is. He's always working for our good, even when we don't understand it, even in the midst of suffering and pain. The cross says that. 
And the most controversial part of this passage is verse 5. Because it says, the Lord closed her womb. It says it again, doubles down. It says it again in verse 6, the Lord closed her womb. Now, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God has closed the womb of every barren woman. I'm not saying that. But in this story, in this specific circumstance, he did. God closed Hannah's womb. Hannah didn't know that. But she didn't know how important Samuel would be either. She didn't know the significance of what God was doing in and around her. God had a plan. I'm not saying it was easy, but there's a sense of hope in that. At the same time, most of us, if we were honest, would say that doesn't sit all that comfortably with us. We'd be honest about that. We'd probably prefer it if First Samuel read, and Satan closed her womb, because we expect that from him. It's almost more palatable, right? But let me tell you, you don't want the enemy in control of your womb or any other part of your life, and you certainly don't want to be left up to chance. You want Yahweh in control, even if you don't understand what he's doing or why. Because the cross tells you everything you need to know. That God is for you. He loves you deeply. So even when you don't understand, he is the one that you want in control. He is. And you might think, well, why does that even matter? Well... I just don't think that you pour out your soul to him. I don't think you have that element of faith where you continually turn back to him. If you don't trust him, you don't actually think he's for you or on the other side of the end of the scale, right? You don't think he's sovereign. If he's not sovereign, then why bother? And if he doesn't love you, why bother? And yet the cross proves that he's both of those things and that he can be trusted. I want to finish with uh, Glenna Marshall. She's an author and a speaker. She's done some stuff with TGC. I love TGC, so she gets a tick of approval. But she's also a woman who knows the pain of infertility. She has a blog post on 1 Samuel chapter 1, and in that blog, her husband asks her what she would say to a woman struggling with infertility, and I want to read out what she says. But I also want to say, this is really for anybody who's experiencing the death of a dream or just the desires of your heart that just seem really far away. It's not just infertility. It's, it's grief and all kinds, right? But this is her response. She says, I would want them to know the Lord sees you. He's not arbitrarily holding something good from you. He is sovereign of your barren womb, and that is actually a good thing. There is a kindness in a God who does things with purpose. Though we may never understand that purpose, this side of heaven. Sometimes you know the purpose, but sometimes you're Job, and you never know. And yet he's always always with you. He sees you. And you can trust him with your future. Reminds me of Corrie Ten Boom. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because the cross says that he's for you. Even if you don't understand where he's at, what he's doing or why, the cross says he's for you. Let's pray. an opportunity for us to respond this morning by just really simply living out what we read, following Hannah's example, coming before the Lord, raw and honest and real, not withholding anything, just coming as we are, pouring out our soul to the Lord that he might fill us with his peace. 
I want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But I, I just know as well that sometimes the, the Lord reveals unforgiveness or bitterness in us that we, we didn't even know was there. Something that we hear coming out of soul care over and over again. And so you might be sitting here this morning, you might think, that's not me. But actually, I don't want you to discard that because sometimes the Lord reveals stuff that we just don't know is there. So even if you don't think this applies to you this morning, the invitation is to follow in David's footsteps and pray a really simple prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me, Jesus. Show me if there's any unforgiveness or disappointment or bitterness in me. And then help me, Jesus, to hand it over to you to pour out my soul. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes just right now to do that, just to come before the Lord as you are. And pour out your soul. Lord of heaven's armies, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you sit in authority above all things. We thank you that your plans and purposes are secure, that you do indeed work all things together for the good of those who love you. You have this beautiful ability to redeem even the most difficult of circumstances. So we thank you, Jesus, that you're the king. Thank you, Jesus, that one day you're coming back to make all things new. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not a faint hope. It is our certain future. Thank you, Jesus. You sit on the throne. You're sovereign. You can do anything. And you're good. Which means that we can trust you. And so I just pray this morning, Father, no matter where we're at, 
pray that we'd see you for who you are. Eyes of faith, Jesus, to see you, to see your, your power, but also to see your goodness, to see the love and the care and the compassion that you have for us. Pray, Father, like Hannah, that we would continually turn to you over and over and over again, year after year, in the midst of our suffering, our disappointment, the things that just aren't going the way that we want them to, that we would never lose hope, never lose faith, trust in you, never turn against you or run away from you, but continually come back and invite you to do something miraculous in our circumstances. We thank you, Jesus, that you're working on a cosmic scale that we don't even understand, which means that even in this stuff that isn't the way that we want it to be, we know that it's not because you're cruel, there's a purpose. You're working. Thank you, Jesus, for having a purpose for all that you do. Help us to be a community that grieves well, and the grieves with those who are grieving. And so it would be something that sets us apart from the world around us. When things are good, we praise you. When things are tough, we praise you. We have a hope, a peace, a joy, because you are the anchor for our soul. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.